Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see you guys. If you're new with us, uh, I'd love to meet you in the back. We, we're a new church. Uh, we started in October of last year under some crazy circumstances. And so uh, I'll be in the back right after the, the service, and so I would just love to meet you. I can share more about those crazy circumstances then and just let you know what God is doing through Phoenix Bible Church, because it really is by his grace that we're here and that he's doing the work that he's doing. And so uh, glad you're here this morning. There are certain encounters in life that change you. Like I remember when we first moved to Arizona, uh, we were shuffling things around in my daughter's room and kind of unpacking boxes and situating things. And my wife is in there and um, she feels something on her foot. And she assumes she's shuffling lots of stuff. Maybe it's dust. Maybe it's a toy. Like, there's lots of those in that room. And she thinks it's nothing. And so she just keeps on doing what she's doing. And then a couple moments later, she looks down. She feels this on her toe again. And she sees a scorpion on her toe. And she screams. And so I run in there. And she's like, there's a scorpion on my toe. And she just kicks it off, right? She just kicks it right off. And all I knew how to do in that moment was grab my systematic theology book and kill that scorpion. That was what was right there, and it praised God, right, for multiple reasons, his provision in our lives. And we killed that scorpion. But listen, that encounter changed my wife. No longer when there's something on her toe when she feels like it might be dust or might be a toy, she doesn't assume that anymore. She assumes it's a scorpion. And listen, when we moved here, that was her greatest fear. We had lots of things to consider, like the church we were going to lead, the place we were going to live, friends, all these type of things. My wife's one question to everyone was, what about the scorpions? And people would be like, no, I mean, that doesn't happen unless you're hiking or, you know, that's very rare. Our first Week here, a scorpion on her toe. And listen, that changed her. Since we've been in Arizona, she's never the same. So those kind of bad encounters change us, but listen, good encounters change us too. You guys know this, most of you know, we had a baby three weeks ago. Um, yeah, give it up for my baby. She's beautiful. She's sitting right there, just sleeps all the time. It's amazing. By God's grace, we thank God for that. And she's an amazing baby. But listen, as we went into the delivery room, I was kind of calm. Because I was thinking, I'm an expert at this. I mean, this is my third time around. I'm going to stay calm. It's not even going to be a big deal. We didn't really know the gender, but I was like, it's going to be okay. Like, everything is cool. I've done this before. As soon as that baby came and the doctor said, you have a sweet baby girl. I just, my knees got kind of wobbly, right? I had to hang on to the side of the hospital bed, and the nurse noticed. She's like, are you going to be okay? I'm like, yes, just check on my wife, please. Thank you. I'm going to be fine. But then we, we walked over to the warmer, right? And that little baby was so pasty and white and chalky. But they set her in that warmer, and they put on that little beanie, and I just, right in that moment, this warmth, this burning came across my chest. And I was thinking, what is this? Like, I didn't eat 
until like earlier this morning. I don't think it's heartburn. I'm checking my pulse. What is this? And I realize it's love. Like this little chalky baby who couldn't even talk yet. She captured my heart. And it didn't matter that I already had two. It didn't matter I already had a little girl. This little girl in that moment owned me. That encounter, seeing her in that warmer, it changed me forever. Like I'll never be the same because encounters with certain things and certain people, they change us. And as we look at scripture, what we're going to see is that when you encounter Jesus, something happens. There's a change that takes place. And so I want you to open up your Bible and look with me. Luke 19 is where we're going to be. So if you have a phone, pull that up on your phone. If you have an actual Bible, pull that up. And let me pray as you head there. Father in heaven, I pray for these few moments where we get to look at your word. I pray that you would quicken our minds so that we can think clearly. I pray that you would soften our heart so that we can receive what you want to teach us this morning. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by his spirit, that you would change us forever. That we wouldn't be the same after we encounter you this morning. That you would do that by your spirit, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at the text with me. Let's jump right in. Luke 19, it says this. Verse 1, he entered Jericho, Jesus, and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature, vertically challenged. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So as we see this guy, Zacchaeus, I'm sure you've heard the story, but he encounters Jesus, and there was a drastic change. So I want to just take these few moments to look at three questions to help us understand what takes place in this change. So the first question is, who is Zacchaeus? Who is Zacchaeus? His name literally meant righteous one, but if you know anything about Zacchaeus, you know he was the opposite of righteous. Right, look at verse 2. Verse 2 tells us he was a chief tax collector and rich. That tax collectors in that day represented social outcast. And some of you know this. Maybe you grew up in church. You sang the song, right? You saw the flannel graph. And you know this story, and you know, okay, yeah, tax collector, bad, social outcast, I get all that. But not everybody realizes that. Like, I was talking to one guy one time, and we were going through a Bible study in Luke, and he was like, I don't get why everybody's so mad at Zacchaeus. Like, can't we just give him a break? I mean, he looks like he's trying to do his job. He's lonely, and he's short. I kind of feel bad for him. Listen, he didn't realize the context of this day. And I don't know if you know, but tax collectors in this day were villains. That they became wealthy at others' expense. And listen, not people far off that they'd never seen before. Zacchaeus lived in Jericho, and these were people right around him. He was extorting them for money. 
for more than they even owed. That's Zacchaeus. He was a villain. And this says he was a chief tax collector, meaning he wasn't just following the man. Like he was the man. He is the guy who's doing this. And people around him would have known that. He was unpopular. He was a villain. This is the guy that Jesus encounters. And Jesus himself tells a parable right before this in chapter 18. And he lumps together extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and who? Tax collectors. Zacchaeus was a bad guy. But listen, we can look at that. I'm sure you know that. We can look at that. But we don't need to just look at Zacchaeus. We need to look at ourselves. Zacchaeus had money and power as idols, but we have our own idols. Like maybe you don't worship money and power, but maybe you worship your job. Like if you're honest right now in this moment, as you look at your life, you're like, man, I'm chasing success in every way possible to the neglect of my family, to the neglect of relationships in my life, to the neglect of God. And I'm chasing that. If I'm honest, my job is an idol. Some of you, if you're honest, Sex is an idol for you. It's all you think about. If you're single and, and not married yet, it's all you think about. You think it's going to solve all your problems. You would never say that, but you, you live like that. We have our idols too. A lot of us are like Zacchaeus. Maybe not as extreme. Maybe you're not a chief tax collector. But listen, I've said this before. Dead is dead. Some of us just smell nicer. Right? Some of us just have more respectable sins. But in Ephesians 2, we read that we're all dead in sin. That it's the way in which we all once walked. That at some point, this was you. You were Zacchaeus. It's not just look at that guy over there, that villain. The villain is us. The villain is in our hearts. And we're going to see that in this passage that we have idols just like Zacchaeus. I want you to see your own heart as you look at Zacchaeus. Listen, I even look at my life, and I think about the different idols I have. Sometimes that idol can be ministry for me. Like functionally in my life, that becomes an idol. I remember the other night I was talking to my wife about some different things. It was like 9.30, 10 p.m. I'm laying on the couch, and I'm talking about the events that are coming up, the things that we're going to do. We're a new church, so there's always something going on. There's always a lot to do, and I'm talking to my wife, and mid-sentence I fell asleep. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I go to bed. And the next day, I'm like, what happened? And my wife's like, you were talking about some event, something about the church, and then in mid-sentence, you fell asleep. And I was like, what? I don't understand. Because ministry sometimes can be an idol for me. I wake up in the morning thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. I have to recognize those tendencies in my life, and I have to stop and I have to turn. And that's what Jesus is going to invite Zacchaeus to do. That's what Jesus invites you to do in the midst of your idol this morning. Let's look at how Jesus engages him. That's our second question is how does Jesus engage Zacchaeus? How does he engage us? Verse five tells us Jesus stops. He looks up. He takes notice. And remember, verse three tells us there's a crowd and yet he stops for this one man. I imagine this crowd is walking with Jesus and they're thinking, you're going to stop for this guy? Like, there's lots of people you could sit down and have a conversation with. You're going to stop for this guy? At the very least, they would have hoped for a vengeful moment, right? Like, can't you just imagine some of this crowd just rubbing their hands together? Ooh, Zacchaeus, about to get his. You tell him, Jesus. Tell him. Get him. This is going to be great. We've been waiting for this forever. 
This guy's been cheating us out of our money. My grandmother lost her pension because of this guy. Get him, Jesus. In that moment, they were probably thinking maybe this was going to be a rebuke that would overtake all other rebukes. But in that moment, moment, what does Jesus do? Look at the text. He calls Zacchaeus by name. He says, I know who you are. I know what you've done. And instead of condemning him, he calls him. He calls him to himself. He says, let's go hang out. I must stay at your house. You know, it's interesting as I thought about this this week. It's interesting, one, because they just met. Right? I don't know if many of us could pull that off. Right? Like after church, if this is your first time here, I'll be in the back. And if I meet you and I'm like, hey, glad you're here. Thanks for coming today. I must stay at your house. <laughs> you might be like, I don't know if I'm going to come back next Sunday. Right? Like, not all of us can pull that off, so it's interesting for that reason, but it's also interesting because there were a lot of options. Like, you ever thought about that? Why is Zacchaeus' house? I mean, they had a crowd right here of people that Zacchaeus had wronged for probably years. Jesus has that crowd. He could have called Zacchaeus to a public apology. So first, Zacchaeus, before we get into anything else, what you're going to do is make this right. Zacchaeus, you got something to say. Let's hear it. He could have called them to that. He could have climbed back up in the tree. Apparently, it was climbable. They could have hung out up in the tree, right? He could have sent Zacchaeus to the temple. He could have said, hey, Zacchaeus, you need to go read the law and realize what you have done, the gravity and the weight of your sin. And when you do that, come back to me and let me know. But what does he do? He calls him to himself. You see, Jesus knew that Zacchaeus didn't need rules or rituals. He needed a relationship. He needed Jesus. He needed the first thing he needed with urgency, hurry, come down, was Jesus Christ himself. Because that would be the change. That would be what would change him. You need to know that as we look at this setting, Jews made themselves ritually impure by entering the house of a public sinner. So as Jesus chooses to go to Zacchaeus' house, as opposed to a neutral spot, as opposed to the temple, he is wrecking social norms of that day. He is making himself ritually impure by even entering his house. And so we can see why in verse 7, the onlooking crowd grumbles at this. And we look at that in even sermons and in books, and I'm guilty of this. And we ridicule the people of that day. We say, oh, they're just religious, like they didn't get it. Like, they didn't get it. This is precisely why Jesus came. Like, why would they grumble at this? But listen, you may have grumbled too. Like, I remember growing up going to church camp. I don't know if you ever did that, but I did. And there would always be that one guy who was just a jerk. He was a jerk. And his mom sent him, or his girlfriend made him come, or there was a girl he wanted to hang out with, and somehow he ended up on this camp. But he was a jerk. And everybody would look at that and know, like, why is he here? But then halfway through the week, he would be singing louder than anybody else. A friend's a friend forever, if the Lord's a Lord of them. And a friend will not say never. And he's raising his hands, and you're like, wait, what? No, no, no way, not you, man. Like, you can't sing that song. And then there would be testimonial time, and he would get up and have a wet rag on his face and be sweating, just like, Jesus has changed me. I'm never going to do anything bad again. 
I'm sorry to you and to you and to you, and I promise I'm going to be different. Everybody would be grumbling in the background. Yeah, right. I'll believe it when I see it. Right? Not you. You wouldn't love Jesus. You wouldn't be changed by Jesus. No way. And you would grumble at that. Listen, this crowd most likely had been cheated by this guy for multiple years. And so it's easy for us to ridicule the religious people. That's what we do. And it's somewhat valid. But listen, we may have been one of those religious people. We may have grumbled too. We may have said, not this guy. Listen, Jesus, you can't just go to his house. That's too easy. Like, it doesn't work like that. Maybe you're thinking, I've read this story. I've sung this song. I thought I knew it. But as I think about it now and the way you're saying it, what if this wasn't even legitimate? Like, these people were probably looking at Zacchaeus. and Maybe he's just doing this for show. Maybe it's just about an appearance. And maybe you're thinking about the story now, and you're like, yeah, I guess, I guess he just said, hurry, come down. He came down, he received him joyfully, and then all of a sudden he's going to his house. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, maybe it was just for show. If you're feeling that, when I feel that, that's revealing the radical nature of God's grace. That it's undeserved favor, completely. Romans 5 says that while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. That while we were still weak, we didn't get strong, we didn't clean up our act, we didn't do a lot of things. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. That this is how Jesus engaged Zacchaeus. And if you've met Jesus this morning, this is how he has engaged you. And we don't have to question, is it legitimate? Is he really changed? Did he do enough? No, God's grace is irresistible. Like he calls Zacchaeus down. He doesn't send him to a rule or to a ritual because he knows if he just comes down to him, that he'll be forever changed. And we see that happens. He receives him joyfully. And that's what we see in the next point of the text. How does Jesus respond? Look at the text, verse 6. How does he respond? He hurries. He comes down. He receives him joyfully. Verse 8 says he calls him Lord that he realizes he's no longer in charge. Jesus is. He's no longer the chief running the show. Jesus is. And then he responds to that. You see the outworking. He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor and restore those I've defrauded fourfold. Listen, in verse 8, I love this. He says, behold, Lord. It's like, look, Lord. It's like a kid coming up to his mom or his dad and saying, Look, mom, look, dad, look what I'm about to do. This is going to be amazing. Like, he's pumped. He's not giving away his possessions out of compulsion. He's doing it joyfully. He's stoked about this because a change has taken place in his life. You need to know that the law only required him to pay back 120%. How much does Zacchaeus give back? Times four. It's out of the love in his heart, the change in his heart that Zacchaeus gives He's no longer the extortionist, the cheater, and the villain. He has encountered Christ, and there's a massive renovation that takes place, right? He goes from taker to giver, from greedy to generous, from sinner to saved. Right? Verse 9, it says, salvation has come to this house. You're a son of Abraham. That doesn't just mean he's a physical descendant. That means Zacchaeus has represented a faith in Christ at that point. 
that just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness because of his faith, what Jesus is saying, salvation has come to your house because you have thrown up empty hands of faith. This is the change that takes place in Zacchaeus. And notice all of this seems really quick, right? Ten verses. There seems like an urgency. Jesus says, hurry and come down. Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. It seems like there was an urgency. I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, if you were sick, would you send for your physician tomorrow? If your house were on fire, would you call fire tomorrow? If you were robbed in the street on your road home, would you cry, stop, thief, tomorrow? No. You would have some urgency about you. Because you would would realize what's at stake here. Because you would realize Jesus Christ. I've seen him. I got up in the tree. I got a glimpse. He's calling me to himself. I'm going to respond to that. And you wouldn't wait. Notice Zacchaeus doesn't say, hey, Jesus, that's great. I'd love to come down and speak with you and hang out. And you come to my house and do the whole shindig. But I got some tax appointments later in the day. I got some things I got to get in order first and take care of. Listen, how many times is Jesus calling you to respond? He's inviting you to himself. He's wanting to step in your mess. And you say, Jesus, I got some things to do. I mean, I got the job, I got the family, I got the finances, I got the scores, I got the Facebook. After that, maybe we'll get to that. And then I can respond. How many times do we do that? How many times do we think, Jesus, I got to clean up my act Like, I need to get this thing straight. Jesus is calling out to you in the midst of your sin, and you think, no, Jesus, Jesus, come on. Like, I just can't repent and confess in this moment. Like, that can't happen right now. I need to go to the mountains. I need to retreat. I need to write all of my sins in my journal. And then I need to build a campfire. And then I need to burn my journal. And then I can respond to Jesus. Listen, there's some urgency as Jesus is calling Zacchaeus. And I don't know where you are this morning, but there's some urgency as Jesus is calling you. There's some urgency. He knows your name. He's calling you to himself. He wants to change you and give you joy. He wants to save you out of your idol and enable you to worship him, to experience that radical change that we experience when we encounter Jesus. Some of us, this is why we don't go to church sometimes, right? Because we think, I can't do that yet. Like, i got to clean up some some stuff first. got to fix this, resolve this, read this, do some good things, and then maybe I can show up at church. And, And we do that, right? Some of us, we're engaged, we're involved, we're serving, like we're known in community. And then some sin creeps up in our life. We start chasing some idols, and we disconnect from everybody. It's like, where's Johnny? I don't know, man. He won't return my calls. I haven't seen him at church lately. And then a couple months later, he's back. He's excited. He's thrilled to be serving in the church, loving Jesus, loving other people. And then for a while, you don't see him again. And it's this distortion that we believe that we have to clean up our act before we can come to Jesus. When we do that, you need to know that there's some arrogance there. That somehow we can impress Jesus with what we've done. Listen, you need to know that No one, when we arrive in heaven, that no one is going to see you, that God's not going to see you and be like, he's here. Everybody gather around. 
gather around. Give it up for him. Come on, he's here. Bring it in here, big guy. Come on, everybody clap. He's here. You. You did it. You did it. Bring it in here. Like, I made it kind of tough on you. You had a long journey. You had some tough moments. But you overcame those. I mean, those little good works you did over here, that studying you did over here, those memory verses you learned over here, those poor that you served over here, the the way you cleaned yourself up. Man, you had a lot against you, but you did it. You. Everybody give them a clap. That's not going to happen. Right? Because nobody earns the approval of God. He gives it by his grace. Like, God does it all. Scripture says that he is our righteous defense. Displayed in his life, demonstrated in his death, declared in his resurrection. That he is our righteousness. That this morning, I don't care how you walked in here, Jesus is your righteousness. That your righteousness pales in comparison. That it's rubbish, Scripture says. That it doesn't amount to anything that Jesus seeks, Jesus saves. And that's what we see in verse 10. Jesus seeks. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That he doesn't. So I would ask you this morning, have you been saved by Jesus? I don't mean do you have Christian friends. I don't mean did you grow up going to church. I don't mean did you know the lyrics of the band this morning. I don't mean any of that. I mean, have you encountered Jesus? Has your heart been changed? Have you thrown up empty hands of faith and said, Jesus, I have trusted in all sorts of other things, in my good works, in gaining your approval, in thinking that you would be impressed with me? And I confess, I repent, I turn from all of those things, I turn from my idols, and I give my life to you. Have you experienced that? Have you encountered Jesus and been forever changed? Has Jesus saved you? That's what he does. Listen, Jesus knows your name. He calls you to himself. He wants to save you and give you joy. Some of you may be thinking, this is a different context, right? My situation is different. Like, this is a story, like, I read it, I sang it growing up, but I'm not even sure I buy it. It's a wee little man. Like, I'm not even sure that I can relate to this. Listen, you need to know that there's men and women across this room who have encountered Jesus and been changed. That there's a couple in our church who has encountered Jesus and been changed. And I don't want to tell you their story. I want you to hear it from them. So we have a video we're going to show you of them so you can turn your attention to the screen. Hi, my name is Bradley Hyde, and this is my wife, Alicia, and uh, we're just going to share a little bit of our story. Um, As a child, I grew up around ministry. My dad was in full-time ministry until I was seven years old. I remember being really inspired by this. Um, As a kid, I would line up all my stuffed animals and my toys, and I would preach fiery words from God. And uh, I'm really grateful to report that many of them are still serving the Lord today and moving forward with the gospel. Amen. Um, as a kid, I loved Jesus. Um, as I moved into adolescence, he moved to the periphery. 
uh, I started doing pills, and then that evolved eventually into shooting up crystal meth and heroin. Um, it was in my teen years that drugs became the functional god of my life. So I grew up with teenage parents who obviously didn't really know what they were doing. Um, my ho- my father had very abusive tendencies. We grew up poor, so it was a very rough upbringing. Um, but despite all that, my mom always made it a priority to take us to church, and so I definitely grew up with um, believing Jesus and having that relationship with God. Uh, as I turned into a teenager, though, I got caught up in the wrong crowd and started basically a sexual addiction that lasted a good amount of years, and um, it I gave myself away so many times that by the time I was 16, I just felt empty like a hollow shell. Um, I didn't really feel like there was anything to live for anymore. And so one night I found myself in a field in the middle of the night with a bottle of pills in one hand and a knife in the other, just crying out to God for help. After the night in the field, God graciously sent me some mentors that really helped me and I stopped partying and drinking and sneaking out and doing all of that stuff, but at that point the sexual addiction had such a hold in my life that I couldn't kick it and um, not till I was about 20 or 21 did it really reach its peak and that whole year was really, on one hand I was really close to God and was learning things and opening my eyes to things that I had never really like seen the magnitude of before and on the other hand uh, my addiction had never had such a strong hold on me and it was just very very low and um, during that time actually is when I felt God calling me to a nonprofit organization in California and it was not my plan at all to go there but he definitely very loudly called me there and provided a way for me to go and I went and he definitely did some major major healing in my life and just made me whole again and showed me his love and grace and my identity in him and That's actually where I met my husband. I spent about a decade of my life from Texas to Los Angeles being strung out, homeless, broke, um, depressed, totally chemically dependent. Um, All this kind of came together and came to a head in my late 20s on January 28th of 2012. And it was on that day that my mom was actually uh, scheduled to have a massive brain surgery. And I didn't know if she was going to live or die. Um, I could, you know, speak with her only once or twice a week because I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any money. I, I was completely strung out. I was sleeping on the sides of the building, broke, stranded in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, on the same day of my mother's procedure, uh, I had bought some heroin that was laced with arsenic, and I actually overdosed. And I was in and out of consciousness, seizing for between 12 and 18 hours. And um, during that time, I remember 
feeling a strange peace with God, but feeling just such dissatisfaction with my own nature and with the way that my life had gone. Um, I knew in that moment that if I came out of that experience, that things were going to be different. And it wasn't a foxhole prayer. It was just a steely resolve that it, was, it didn't come from me. It was something I'd tried to achieve so much before in the past. But this was just the moment when um, irresistible grace became not just an abstract doctrine to me. It's something that gripped me, that wrestled me, that gently led me to repentance. And I've never been the same again. Uh, like I said, that was January 28th of 2012, and I'm happy to say that I've never done drugs again since that day. And today, um, I'm happily married and um, serving the Lord at Phoenix Bible Church, and I'm so blessed to be able to lead worship there. Um, it's just such a drastic transformation, and I, I can't say I, it never would have happened if it wasn't for the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, which led me to repentance, and, um, and I'm just so grateful to be a part of Phoenix Bible Church, and I'm really excited to see what God does through this church in the future. Yeah, give it up for BJ and Alicia. Love those guys. If you've heard them share their story, I mean, they share it the same way in person. And they genuinely love Jesus now. And they're serving him in their marriage. And it's crazy to see that change that's taken place in their life. Uh, this morning, I, I don't know how you walk in here. I, I don't know if you are wrapped up in rules and rituals, but you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you just stumbled in here and you just thought, man, something may happen today that will break, change, reform, transition something in my life. However you walk in here, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't encountered him and been changed by him, that's our hope for you today. Like just like Zacchaeus, just like BJ and Alicia, that you would meet him and that you would get ready to be forever changed. Listen, if that's you, you can stop listening to me and start talking to Jesus and tell him you repent, tell him you trust, throw up empty hands of faith and be prepared because he will change you. If you are a Christian, some of you may have people in your life where you think, man, it would be impossible for Jesus to save them. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it's somebody in your family who you just think, not him, not her. No way it would happen. Listen, that person was Zacchaeus. And everybody would have known that. And Jesus saves him. Because that's what he does. Verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's what he does. We need to pray. We need to think about. We need to talk to those people in our spheres of influence. And ask Jesus Christ to encounter them and to save him. Just like he did Zacchaeus. Just like he did BJ and Alicia. And just like he did you once upon a time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning.